Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Happy New Year to all of you guys. Happy New Year to those of you joining us online. I'm excited to be here with you today. My name is Daniel Norris, and I have the privilege of serving here at New Beginnings on our Longview campus as the campus pastor. And I am excited to be here with you this uh, third day in January, January 3rd, 2021, a brand new year. Can you believe it? Come on, I know some of you are, you're so glad to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. And we're moving on to 2021, praying and expecting great things from God and expecting God to do great things in, in each and every one of our lives. So in a brand new year, this is that time of year, uh, over the last week, uh, I find myself, and I'm sure many of you as well, and those people around the world, they start looking as the year comes to an end, they start looking at their waistline, they start looking at their budget, they start looking at their relationships, they start looking at all these things, and we start looking at all these things going, man, I, I need to make some changes, I want my life to change, and I believe that this is a great time of year to do that, where we need to look at our lives, look at our priorities, and maybe reprioritize some things and get some things in order. And so people want change. They want to change their lives. And I believe this morning I have the, the thing that will change your life more than anything else. It has the power to change your life more than anything else. And that is this thing called prayer. Prayer is one of the most powerful things that we have as believers. This is one of those powerful things that we have access to. And I believe all of us with all of my, I believe with all my heart that those of us who follow Jesus would say that prayer is and should be a top priority in our life. Amen. That prayer should be of utmost importance. We would say that prayer is important. It should be a top priority, but unfortunately, most of the time, if we're being honest, it isn't. When we look at our lives and we evaluate our lives, more, we're more worried uh, with our relationships and our budget and our waistline and all of the, our diet, our exercise, all of these other things have grabbed a hold of our attention and those things have top priority in our life more than talking to God the Father, the creator of the universe. You see, the Bible teaches us this. It teaches us that all the blessings of God, all the blessings that God wants to pour out on our lives as his kids, he does so through prayer. And prayer for, is the most undervalued resource in our lives. And I don't want to stand up here today, and I don't want you to think that, man, he's, he's nailed it. He's killing it. He's got it down. He knows exactly how to pray and when to pray and what to pray. I don't want to stand up here and act like prayer is an easy thing to do, because I know many people struggle with prayer. Prayer can be a difficult things at times. It can be a struggle. We don't know sometimes what to pray and what to say. It can be hard and it can be difficult at times. But make no mistake, prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us outside of salvation, that you and I, as his sons and daughters, have direct access to God the Father. One of the many joys of my life is being a dad, and I have two boys. I have a seven-year-old Colton and an 11-year-old Brock. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your house, but um, every time I walk in the door at my house, it's like I get jumped. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, they're in this season of life where all they wanna do is wrestle with dad. I mean, from the moment I walk in the door, it's like ding, 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 and the, the, the fight is on. 
It's like they jump me every time I walk around a corner. I've got one on my back, one on my leg, and the wrestling match is on. And there's something special that happens in our relationship as father and sons in this time that we spend wrestling. You see, when I wrestle with my boys and they wrestle with me, there's a few things that happens in our relationship. Number one, they experience, we experience this, this closeness, this intimacy, if you will, unlike any other time because we are just locked onto one another. We're rolling in the floor and we're closer in those moments than we are at any other time. So we experience this closeness, this intimacy. Also, when we wrestle, every time we wrestle, they get to walk away a little bit stronger because they've struggled. They get to walk away a little bit stronger because they've struggled on the floor wrestling with their dad. And number three, one of the third, the, the third thing that they experience and that we experience is this, is that in those moments when I'm wrestling with my boys and they're wrestling with me, they get to feel dad's strength and dad's power. In other words, they get to be reminded of who dad is and that he's really in charge, right, amen? Like he's, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's, 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 he's a lot more powerful than I am. And so they get to experience that strong yet tender love in those moments going, oh man, that's my dad. He's got this, like he's big enough, he can handle these things. And I want you to hear me today, church family, the same is true for you and I. And when we wrestle with our Father in prayer, we get to experience this closeness, this intimacy with him, unlike any other time in our lives. We get to walk away once we've struggled and wrestled with him a little bit stronger than when we walked into the ring. We get to experience a little bit more strength each and every time we struggle and wrestle with our Father in prayer. And then in those moments of prayer, we also get to walk away going, oh yeah, that's my dad. He's bigger, he's badder, he's stronger, he's stronger than anyone else, and he's got this. I can trust him completely because he can handle anything and everything that comes into my life. That's my dad. And that's what we as believers, as sons and daughters, that's what we get to experience when we wrestle with the Father, amen? This morning, we're gonna, as we talk about prayer, we're gonna look at an Old Testament character who literally wrestled with God and walked away with his prayers answered and his life forever changed. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship that we have already experienced. God, thank you for what you did in the eight o'clock hour. God, I'm asking that right now in this moment, over the next few minutes, God, that you would move all of the distractions out of our way. God, that whatever we walked into this room with caring, God, that we would lay it down right now in this moment and trust you with it. God, help us to fix our eyes and our hearts and our minds on you and you alone. God, I pray that you would speak to us now in this moment through the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask you to do what only you can do. And all of God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I wanna encourage you to open it up to Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 32. And as you're turning, I wanna give you a little bit of background to this story. As we, Like I said, we're gonna talk about this man that wrestled with God. This guy, his name is Jacob. See, Jacob was a twin. And Jacob literally means this. It means one who grasps. It means deceiver. 
And let me tell you something, church family, this guy, Jacob, lived up to his name completely throughout his life. He was a grabber, he was a deceiver. He was one who was always striving to get ahead even before he was born. That's why they named him Jacob. You see, when Jacob and his twin brother Esau were born, as Esau was being born first, little old Jacob reached up out of his mama's womb and grabbed Esau's heel as if to pull him back in and say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm gonna be first. Y'all don't know anybody like that, do you? Y'all know anybody that's like, I'm gonna be first in line. I've always got to be in the front. I've always got to get ahead. This is Jacob. He is the one who grasps. He is the deceiver. He's the one who's always striving to get ahead. Jacob and Esau are twins, but they are very, very different. How many of you parents would say, man, I understand what it means to have kids who are different. Like it blows my mind that I have two boys. They come from the same mom and dad, the same family, the same genes, and yet they can be so completely different. I was reminded this past week when my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were in town, they have 18-month-old twins. And little Emma and little Smith were running around my house. And as I was reading this scripture and thinking about the word of God, I was looking at Emma and Smith running around. And even though they are twins and they were only born about a minute or so apart, they are still so completely different. Emma, you know, she's got her own personality and strong will and Smith's over here and Smith loves sweets and Emma could care less about sweets. And they, even though they are twins and they were born very, very close together, they are so unique and so different. That is the same case with Jacob and Esau as you'll see in just a few moments. Let me tell you a little bit about Jacob and Esau. Even though they were twins, they were very, very different. Esau was this tough hairy, outdoorsman, woodsy kind of guy. I mean, if he were here today, he would probably drive an F-250 power stroke diesel with a big decal on the back that said, come and take it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. That he, Esau is that kind of boy. He's, a, he's the boy that can skin a buck and run a trot line. You guys know what I'm talking about? He is outdoorsy. He is woodsy. He says that he is hairy and he is just meant to live out in the woods. That is Esau. And then all of a sudden you have Jacob, the grabber, the deceiver that comes out. And the Bible describes him as this smooth skin, indoorsman, likes to spend his time in the, ki- in the kitchen, probably has a Pinterest account. He likes, to, he likes to cook meals with mama. He's what you would call a, a little bit more of a, a mama's boy, if you will. Does anybody know anybody like that? Don't, if they're sitting by you, don't raise your hand and call them out on it. They like to be inside. They like, there's nothing wrong with that. They're just different. God made them and wired them and created them different. You've got Esau who wants to be out in the woods and you've got Jacob who likes to spend his time in the kitchen. These are the guys that we're talking about. Well, as they grow up in age, they become teenagers and See, back then, it was the firstborn son that was entitled to this thing called the birthright. And so Esau was the firstborn. He was entitled to this thing called the birthright, the blessing of his father, Isaac. And Isaac was going to, when he got towards the end of his life, he's going to bestow this blessing upon Esau and give him two-thirds of the inheritance. And more importantly, in this situation, these guys come from a powerful lineage and legacy. Their grandfather was Father Abraham. And Abraham had been given a promise by God that said, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
Your children will be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. From your bloodline, from your lineage, there will be kings and queens and princes and rulers. You will be blessed beyond measure. And so with the blessing that Isaac was to pass on to Esau came that blessing as well, the promise of God on his life. And as they become teenagers, one day Esau had been out in the woods hunting, looking for that big buck to put on the wall. He comes in after a long morning, a long day of hunting, and he says, I'm starving. Like, I am famished. You guys have any teenage boys that when they walk in the room, they get a little dramatic because they're hangry? This is the moment where Esau is extremely hangry, and he's like, I am starving. I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. And his brother, Jacob, had been in the kitchen cooking up a pot of stew. And Esau walks in, and he smells that stew. And you guys know how it is. Like, when you go shopping and you're hungry, like that's bad news, right? Because you buy everything in the store. This is the moment where Esau walks in and he is starving and he smells the stew that his brother Jacob had been cooking. And he says, hey, give me some of that stew in a loving way like all brothers do, right? Give me a bowl of that stew. And Jacob's like, what are you gonna give me for it? I'll trade you something for it. And Jacob, remember his name, grabber, deceiver, He's always looking for that moment, that opportunity to get ahead. And so what does he do in this moment? He just, he swings for the fences, right? He's like, I'm going big because all I've got to start high and then negotiate and see where I end up. In fact, I'm gonna start as high as I possibly can in hopes that I might either end up with his new pair of Air Jordans or those AirPods that he got for Christmas. So he goes for the fences going, man, I'm gonna at least get something good out of this situation. And he says, hey, I'll trade you for it. And he says, how about your birthright? Never thinking that Esau would go for this. Jacob's like, I'll trade you, give me your birthright. And so in this moment, Esau, like most teenagers, sorry teenagers, if you're in the room, I was once a teenager and did the same thing. You're thinking short-term, not long-term. You're thinking right here, right now, this is all I need, this is what I want, give it to me now not thinking about tomorrow, not thinking about next month, next year, or your future. He's like, I am starving. And so he says, what good is my birthright if I die of hunger this afternoon? Sounds a little melodramatic, doesn't it? I mean, what good is this birthright? That's years down the road. If I die today or if I die this afternoon from starvation. And so guess what Esau does? He says, yes. He's like, fine, take it. You can have it. I don't want it anyway. He gives him his birthright. Fast forward a few years later, their father Isaac is up in years and he's on his deathbed. And he says, hey, Esau, I want you to go out and hunt me up some venison. I want you to make me some of that venison stew. Go get me some venison, make me some stew. And when you make me some stew, then I'm going to bestow my blessing upon you. Well, Jacob and his mom, remember he's a mama's boy, they're hanging out in the kitchen. They hear this. And they think, this is it. This is our moment. This is the opportunity that we've been waiting for. And so while Esau's out in the woods, Jacob and his mom pull some venison out of the freezer from last year. They throw it in a pot, put it in the microwave, heat it up. Jacob then puts on some goat skin, it says, on his arms and on the back of his neck, because remember, Esau's hairy. And, they, and he walks in to his father's room pretending to be his older brother Esau. This is his moment. This is his opportunity to steal his, the birthright from the father. 
Isaac was older in age, on his deathbed, his, his vision was failing him, and he, he doesn't realize that it's Jacob and not Esau, and he bestows the blessing upon Jacob. Well, Jacob walks out, Esau comes home, Esau finds out and realizes what has happened. And as you can imagine, he is furious. He is ticked. He's forgotten that a few years ago he traded his birthright for a pot of stew. So in this moment, Esau says this. He says, I'll let my dad die. I'll give the family a few days to mourn, and then I'm going to kill my brother for what he's done. Well, a few days later, Jacob catches wind of this threat, and he's afraid of Esau, so he takes off and he runs as fast and far as he can away from his family, away from his brother, away from everyone, and he stays on the run for the next 30 years. And over the next 30 years, God begins to do a work in Jacob's life. And we see this because in verse thir chapter 31, verse three, God tells Jacob, hey, I want you to go back to the land of your fathers, and if you do, I will be with you. I will be with you. So Jacob obeys God, he starts to head home, but as he gets closer to home, he catches wind and hears that his brother Esau is just on the horizon with over 400 men. Now, if you've been running from your angry brother for 30 years that wants to kill you, and you hear that he's on the horizon with 400 soldiers, that is the moment where you better hit your knees and start praying. And that is exactly what Jacob does. Verse, chapter 32, verses nine through 12, here's what it says. It says, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of all the deeds of steadfast love and of all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. In other words, when I left home 30 years ago, running for my life, I left with nothing but a staff in my hands. And now God, for some reason, you have blessed me beyond measure. The Bible tells us he has 11 children, couple of wives, which by the way, that's not for any of you in this room, couple of wives, a huge family. God has blessed him beyond measure, beyond his wildest dreams. He says, I left here with nothing and now I'm returning with two camps. Blessing beyond blessing, beyond my wildest dream. And he says, verse 11, he says, now I have two camps. And he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. Verse 12, but you said, God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Notice what Jacob does in this moment when he's stressed out, when he's anxious, when he's afraid. It says that he prays. He hits his knees and he begins crying out to God and he prays. And as he prays, he doesn't pray just some random prayer. He holds up the word of God. He holds up the promises of God and he says, God, you said, God, you said this is what you would do if I would return back to the land of my fathers. God, you promised you promised my grandfather Abraham. You promised my father Isaac. You promised me that my descendants would be as numerous as the sands on the shore. God, you said this. You promised this. 
I love this because Jacob is just brutally honest in this moment. He's scared and he's nervous and he's freaking out, if you will, a little bit because his brother's on the horizon and his brother wants to kill him. But in this moment, he does exactly what you and I would do. He prays, but he prays with this gut level honesty where he says, God, get me out of this mess. God, I need you to help me. Don't let Esau kill me. That is a pretty transparent prayer, isn't it? God, my brother wants to kill me. He's up there waiting for me. And I'm asking you to change his heart, change his mind, protect me. Don't let him kill me. And check out what happens next. If you're reading through that text, it says that Jacob sends both camps, his family, on ahead. He sends them to cross the Jordan and they sends them in two different parties thinking, well, if he attacks one, then at least I'm still left with half of what I own. Again, he's clever. He's a grasper. He's a deceiver. He's always looking for the play. He's always looking for the opportunity. And this moment is no different. He's thinking, well, at least I can divide up all that I own. I'll send some over here and some over there in hopes that I'll at least escape with something. And as we pick up right here in chapter 32, verses 24 through 31, this is our main chunk of text that we're gonna look at this morning as we talk about prayer. It says, and Jacob was left alone. Let me just stop there for a moment. Have you ever noticed how when God wants to do a work on you and in your life, he'll find a way to get you all alone? I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but I have. God will find a way to get you all alone, all by yourself. He'll remove all the distractions. He'll remove all the other things that you're chasing after. And he will get you to this place where it's no one but you and him. And he will go to work on you. This is that moment for Jacob. Everyone else, all of his family, all of his belongings, all of his possessions, everything he's been striving for and accumulating all of these past 30 years is now gone on ahead of him. And there's a threat on the horizon. It looks like his life might be ending soon. And God gets him all alone. And here's what it says. It says, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, let me just make you aware of this right here because there's a lot of debate throughout the years over this passage of text right here. There's, there's some theologians that would say, well, it wasn't a literal man, it was an angel from heaven, or this might've been a vision or might've been a dream. Let me, say, let, me, let me read that to you. It says, and a what? And a man, not an angel, not some heavenly being, it doesn't say that Jacob imagined this or dreamed this or had a vision or dream from God. It says that a man wrestled with him. That translation of that word man in the Greek and in the Hebrew is this word ish. And ish in all of those translations means this, man. It was a man. It's what we would call a Christophany. This is that moment where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament before he was ever born in a manger. He takes on the appearance of a man and he wrestles with Jacob in this moment until the breaking of day. It says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, 
For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called that place, the name of that place, Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. There's a few things I want us to see. I believe God is trying to teach us this morning as we look at this, and all of these things that we're gonna talk about this morning and learn, they're all connected to prayer. Everybody say prayer. This whole wrestling match comes about in the middle of Jacob praying. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. The blessings of God are released when we wrestle in prayer. Let me say that again. The blessings of God are released when we wrestle in prayer. Look at verse 29. It says, the man blessed him after Jacob held on to him and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Jacob was holding on for dear life. Now listen, I didn't mention this earlier as I was describing the first part of this story, but if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, what you'll find is that God had already prophesied before Jacob and Esau were ever born that Jacob would be the one to receive the blessing. God had already prophesied this over his life, but it wasn't until Jacob took it in a prayer wrestling match that it really became his. You see, he had to grab a hold of the promise of God through prayer. He prayed the promises of God. He reminded God of his word and what he had promised to him. It's because the blessings of God are released when we wrestle in prayer. Did you know that the Bible is full of the promises of God? Did you know that there are over 3,000 promises of God in this book that you hold in your hand? Now, I know there are specific promises that in the Word of God that are very unique to certain situations, but there are thousands of them that are literally for you and for me. The promises of God are for you and for me. And when we pray, we can pray the word of God and the promises of God over our lives, over our family's lives, over our our church, over our community, just like Jacob did in these moments. Now, I wanna get real practical with you for a moment because some of you may be saying, I've never done that. I don't know how to do that. Let me give you a couple of examples of the ways that I would do this and the ways that I do do this. When I think about like my boys and I'm praying with them and for them before they go to school in the mornings, I think of certain scriptures that are that are just scriptures that of God's word and God's promises. Scripture like Joshua 1 9 that says, Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so when I think about my boys as their father, I pray that prayer and I say, God, I want my boys to not be afraid. I want my boys to be bold and courageous. I want them to be strong and courageous. I want them to know that whatever they walk into that you are with them. They can be strong. They can be courageous. They don't have to be afraid. And so God, I'm asking you to make this known to them that they would know that you are with them wherever they go. And so I want, the, you, I want them to be strong and courageous. When I think about my life and my own life as a dad, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, and I'm entering into some difficult situations and I'm struggling, I pray verses like 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. In those moments when I'm walking into a situation and I feel weak, I can pray this promise in this verse. And I say, God, I know that I'm weak, but you are strong. I know that in my weakness, you are going to show your strength in this situation. And so therefore I can boast all the more gladly about my weakness because I know that Christ is in me and he is more than enough. He's more than I need in this circumstance and in this situation. And so God, I'm asking you to remind me today that your grace is sufficient for me. For our church, when I think about the year we've had and the year we're going into, all the uncertainty and all the unknown, I I think of verses like Isaiah 41.10 that says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Did you know that it's not up to me or Pastor Todd or any of the staff to hold up this church? It is the power and the presence of God himself. It is his promise that he will do this. He will uphold. This is his church, not our church. And he is the one who holds it in his hand and holds it all together. Jesus himself said that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so as we head into 2021, I can pray that prayer with strength and with courage, knowing that Jesus, you said this. You said that you will build your church, not me, you, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And so today, God, I'm asking you to do that because that is what you said in your word. That's how we pray the word of God. So here's what I was wrestling with and asking myself, and I wanna ask you this morning. I wonder how many blessings have gone unclaimed in my life and in your life simply because we're not willing to wrestle in prayer and ask God for any of them. I told you there's over 3,000 promises in the scripture, thousands of them for you and for me. And as I look at my life, I go, man, I wonder how many have gone unclaimed because I wasn't willing to ask. F.B. Meyer said this, said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Imagine someday when you stand before God and you stand in his presence and you, if, he, if, if he allows us that you're able to see all of the blessings he wanted to pour out on your life that you never received because you weren't willing to wrestle in prayer and ask him for any of them. They were all right here. They were all written down. He gave us this word for a reason and we simply just ignored them and didn't pray about them and ask him for them. We've got to hold up the word of God. We've got to pray the promises of God over every area of our life. Jacob did, and so should we. The next thing I want us to see in this story that we see in Genesis 32 with Jacob is this, is that wrestling in prayer requires determination and persistence. Look what it says in verse 25 and 26 of chapter 32. It says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, He touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now y'all remember what I said a few minutes ago about Esau and Jacob. And I made that statement that Jacob was like this smooth skinned pretty boy who spent time in the kitchen and had a Pinterest account. I need to apologize for that right now. 
I need to go back on that because let me check this out. Your boy Jacob's wrestling with God. And in this moment, as the sun's coming up, God says, let, Jesus says, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not letting go. And it says that he touched his hip socket, again, to show him his strength and power in that moment. And it says that Jacob's hip was dislocated. So in this moment, the largest joint on his body is ripped from its socket and Jacob does not quit. He does not let go. That's what you call determination and perseverance. I don't know about you, but I've had some other injuries and not anything even close to that. And something as simple as a, a dislocated little pinky finger. And in that moment, that pain is so awful and horrific that it's like, I'm out, I'm done. I'm tapping out, I'm, I can't keep going. And, and that's a pinky. And this guy, this right here says that Jacob's hip was dislocated and he would not let go. He kept holding on. He would not let go until God blessed him. What about you? Do you have any kind of grit about you in your prayer life? Do you have any determination, any persistence in your life? When is the last time that you wrestled with God in prayer about anything like this? When is the last time that you grabbed a hold of God on the mat and said, God, I'm not letting go until you do this in my life. God, I'm not letting go until you restore this relationship that's been broken for so long. God, I'm not letting go. I'm gonna keep begging. I'm gonna keep asking. I'm gonna keep holding on until you save my son or daughter that's been running from you for a long, long time. What does it look like in our life to grab a hold of God, to wrestle in prayer and refuse to let go until we see God do the impossible? For some of you, it may be your marriage. For some of you, it may be your finances. For some of you, it may be a friend, a family member, a coworker that is lost in their sin, separated from God. They don't know him and they will spend eternity in hell separated from him unless they come to the realization of who he is and what he's done. That is something we should be wrestling in prayer about, amen? We should be grabbing hold of God and saying, God, I'm asking you to do the impossible and I'm asking you to move mountains. I'm asking you to do what only you can do in my marriage, in my kid's life, in my friends, in my family's life. I'm asking you to do the impossible in the life of our church. When is the last time, New Beginnings, that you wrestled with God about anything in prayer like that? You see, we need to be people of prayer that are determined and persistent in prayer. Jesus himself in Matthew 7, 7 said this. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Let me say it like this. If you don't ask, it won't be given to you. See, I think far too many of us walk around with this attitude of, I don't even have to ask. God owes me something. I deserve this. That whole deserving attitude, let me just say it like this. You can cash that in. We don't deserve anything. In fact, you should hit your knees today and thank God that he doesn't give you what you deserve. Because if he gave you what you deserve, none of us would be here. He has given us mercy and grace and forgiveness and goodness but God is not obligated to give you or me anything. He does not owe us anything, but yet he has given us everything. 
He has given us his very best, his one and only son. So if you don't ask, it won't be given. If you don't seek, you won't find. And if you don't knock, the door won't be opened. You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to keep on knocking until that door is open. You need to be determined and persistent in prayer. And let me, let me just say it like this. If we will be the type of people who are determined and persistent in prayer, if we will be the type of people that just keep holding on, keep hanging on, keep asking, keep pushing, keep doing, keep holding on, asking God to do the impossible. Listen, he may not change our situation, but he may do something even greater. He might change us. Which leads me to the next point. Wrestling with God in prayer does not change God but it changes us. Look what it says in verse 27 and 28. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You see, God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I wanna tell you something, New Beginnings, you cannot wrestle with God and walk away the same way you walked in. He will change you. If you hold on to him and get close enough to him long enough, he may not change your situation, but he might do something even greater is that he might change you. And that's exactly what he does in the life of Jacob in this moment as Jacob literally wrestled with him and held on to him with everything that he had God asks him his name and Jacob says, I am Jacob, I'm a liar, I'm a deceiver. I've tried all my life to, to obtain these blessings for myself in my own manipulative, by my own manipulative means. And now God, I am repenting. And in that moment, this is what God does. God changes him and he gives him a new name, Israel with a blessing beyond anything that Jacob could have ever imagined or sought for himself. You see, church family, sometimes in prayer, God changes the situation and sometimes he changes you instead. And listen, some of you have, been, have spent your entire life like Jacob, striving, deceiving, wrestling, worrying, trying to get ahead, trying to get some type of blessing on your own. And the blessing that you're searching for is not going, going to come through those things. It's going to come by submitting and surrendering your life to God. In other words, it's going to come from that moment when you say, you tap out. You're like, okay, God, you win. I'm all yours. I've been trying to do this thing on my own all my life. I've been trying to, to, to be my own God. I've been trying to control people and situations and circumstances and everything else around me. And I realize, God, that I am not in control, that you are large and in charge. You are sovereign. You see everything and you see me. And even though I'm a, a liar and a deceiver and a manipulator, just like Jacob, God, you love me. And you want nothing but the best for me and you've proven it to me once and for all. You see, you and I, as we wrestle with God in prayer, we have to be like Jacob. We have to come to the end of ourselves 
And we have to be willing to submit and surrender and say, okay, God, you win. You see, winning the blessing comes by losing to God. Winning the true blessing comes by losing to God. Let me ask you, have you lost to God? Have you lost your life to him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Remember that verse, Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body, I now live by faith, faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Have you lost your life to God yet? Have you given him your life? Here's the most important thing I want you to see and get today. If you don't get, if you didn't get anything else that I said this morning, don't miss this. When you wrestle with God, you get God. Let me say that again, because it's pretty simple. When you and I wrestle with God, we get God. God is the blessing. He is the reward. He is the prize. And so when we wrestle with God, it's not to get all of our wishes granted. When we wrestle with God, it's not for anything else but to get God. Look what what happened in Jacob's life. Verse 29 through 30 says, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? In other words, don't you know who I am? I don't have to give you my name. You should know who I am. And it says, and there in that moment, he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of that place Peniel saying this, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. You see the greatest blessing that Jacob got out of this all night wrestling match with God was not his sins forgiven as great as that was. See, the thing that Jacob got was not just a a right relationship with his brother being restored. It wasn't a, a new name as cool as it is. The thing that Jacob got, the greatest blessing that Jacob got was a relationship with God. Because when you wrestle with God, you get God. You see, I think for far too many of us, we are satisfied with the gifts and the blessings of God rather than God himself. I think there's far too many Christians walking around today that would say, you know what? I don't really want God. What I want is someone to grant my wishes. I want more like Santa Claus. I want someone to give me my wish list, fix all of my problems, make my life easy. And if I can just have all of those things, then I'll be completely satisfied. Minus God. And what we need to be brutally honest with ourselves about is saying, God, you're greater than any of those things. You're all I seek. You're all I want. You're all I'm asking for. God, I don't care if you give me another blessing the rest of my life. I want you. I want to walk with you. I want to wrestle with you. I want to know you. I want to experience you in a fresh and powerful way in 2021. I want to wrestle with my father and know the closeness and the intimacy that I talked about with my boys. God, I want to wrestle with you. And every time I wrestle with you in prayer, I wanna walk away a little bit stronger because I've struggled with God. 
God, I want to feel your loving arms, your powerful arms around me. I want to experience and know the power of God in this moment as I wrestle with him like never before. I want to know that my, that my father is with me in every circumstance, in any situation. I want to feel his strength and power. I want to know that he is there. You see, you and I, when we wrestle with God, the greatest blessing is that we get God. A relationship with God is better than any of his blessings. So let me ask you new beginnings. Have you wrestled with God lately? Do you know him? Have you experienced his loving, powerful presence in your life? Have you experienced God the Father the way that I'm describing? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the greatest gift you've ever given us other than salvation through your son, which is prayer. That everyday ordinary people like us could enter into that holiest place and approach you with confidence through your Son and through your Holy Spirit that we can come to you and bring all of our requests to you and that we can seek you each and every day and wrestle with you in prayer and, and have a conversation with you and, and sometimes just hold on to you for dear life knowing that the only way this is going to happen is if you show up and if you do this in our lives. God, I'm praying for my friends in this room and for those watching online. God, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today that does not know you as Father, that today would be the day of their salvation, that today you would not change their circumstance or situation, but that you would change them that you would give them a new name and a new heart and a new future because they placed their faith and trust in you. And so, Father, I'm asking you to do this. Only you can save. And God, I'm asking you right now in this moment, if there's anyone far from you, anyone that is lost in their sin, anyone that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they cry out to you and call you Father. For the rest of us, God, that take this thing called prayer for granted, God, help us to realize that it is the greatest gift that you have given us. God, may we be people of determination and perseverance. May we be persistent people of prayer that come to you and that wrestle with you each and every day and experience your power like never before. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. I want you to know as we worship right now in this moment, the altar is open and we've got some of our prayer partners up front. If you need prayer or if today was the day of your salvation, we would love to know about it. Come forward as the band plays and leads us in worship. The altar is open for prayer.